it's let us say the grace and this is part one assuming that there are two more parts but if we find that we have someone come who's rather more important then maybe they'll get dropped otherwise might do one next month and in a couple of months time so at this church we regularly used to say the grace at the end of meetings for a long time this hasn't happened but in the last few weeks I think we've done it twice and I can't remember who actually did it uh, it makes you want to share the words with one another, doesn't it? Although some are more reluctant than others to actually turn around and speak face to face to others. It's a bit like when we go to some churches when we've been on holiday and they say, now you can turn around and greet the person behind you and we're sitting there like this. <laughs> but, you know, we know what this means. And when we say the grace together, it's got a very special meaning, hasn't it? So it's obviously not the grace that we say before meals. So where do the words actually come from? And what can we learn from the words that we repeat? The words are found, if you want to look it up, in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14. Grace is a word that has a really lovely feel to it, doesn't it? In fact, I was talking to Pedro on Sunday and he said, I love the word grace. So you even get a mention. But it has a feel to it, doesn't it? Something about it actually feels, it feels as if it sums up so much of what's lovely and majestic about God's dealings with us, just in the feel of the word. A bit like blessing, when you hear blessing from people on the telly, you often think, mm, have they got a Christian background? It's, it's probably become more so now, but uh, it has a place in a con Christian context more than a secular context. However, the word, ha word has a Greek origin. I'm not a Greek scholar, I'm not gonna go into the depths of that, but it apparently means to give pleasure or joy so you can see why it's been adopted by Christians as nothing can give more joy than knowing that God has saved undeserving sinners and given them the title of adopted sons and daughters. I recently spotted a small video of Alastair Begg speaking, it wasn't a, a small Alastair Begg, it was a small video of Alastair Begg speaking at a conference and he asked what our response would be to someone asking why it was we were going to heaven. And his first point was that if our answer contains anything like because I've done this or that or because I've achieved this or that, then we've obviously got the wrong end of the stick. He then considered the entry of the dying thief into heaven. An imaginary discussion was taking place in his little speech and the thief was asked how he'd arrived in heaven. When the inquirers realised that he knew nothing about theology, why would he? He was a thief on the cross and that he had uh, nothing like that had merited his entry, he just said, I am here because he, Jesus, said I could come. And that's going to be true for all of us, isn't it? Whatever your theological background, we all would think that to be converted young in life, we pray for the teenagers regularly, we want people to be saved early, but the truth of it is that whether we are young or old, we're still only going to get in because Christ has died for us personally. And that's grace in a nutshell. We deserve nothing, but Jesus gives us everything purely because of what he has done. So that's the introduction. And for those of you who'd like to know how long it's going to go on for, there's a summary bit about grace, and then there's three points in more detail about grace, and then there's a conclusion. So the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how we start this verse that we repeat to each other. Before we look to go into the detail, let's have a look at a couple of biblical examples of grace in action. 
And if I asked you, I don't know what you'd come up with. But the parable of the prodigal son, I still remember Philip doing this for a um, holiday Bible club. And I still can visualise, hear it, understand the door being opened on the guy's porch. And it was a great modern updated version of a prodigal son. The son turns his back on his father. He insults him by demanding his inheritance whilst the father is still very much alive. I wonder what I'd feel if my kids say we want my inheritance and I'm still around. You wouldn't be too happy. He messes up his life beyond belief. He ends up living in a pigsty, so hungry he could eat their food. He realises he's been a fool and would be better off as a servant of his father. He rehearses over and over again as he's walking home the speech of repentance that he delivered to his father and hopes he'll be accepted back. But the father has already been searching for his son and it's a tremendous picture of the father running. The father has been looking for his son, he sees him when he's afar off. He not only accepts him back but restores him to his former position, offers him a party to show his delight in the restoration of his son. We know the story well. But that is grace, isn't it? That son deserved nothing. The father was delighted to have him back in the fold. And then we come to the story of the Samaritan woman. You know the story well as well. She's at the well. And this time the story is a true story. It's not a parable. There's no way that most Jews would have ventured into Samaria. We used to tell this story in Sunday school and remember doing it several times over the 20 years or whatever we were in Sunday school. There's no way... And yet the Bible said he had to go through Jerusalem, or he must go through Jerusalem, or certainly most Jews certainly wouldn't have done. This woman had lived an immoral life, had been seeking all sorts of things to give her pleasure and excitement. She thought she had a physical need of water to quench her thirst, so she went to draw at the well. And she went at a time of the day when most of her fellows wouldn't have gone because it's the sun in the middle of the day, she wanted to avoid them. They no doubt didn't think much of her. But when Jesus met her, he amazed her firstly because he knew all about her. But secondly, because he pointed out her spiritual thirst and showed her that he was the remedy. And what an incredible discussion that would have been. There's a great book by Stuart Ollier on tail, she's nodding, yeah. discussions that people had with Jesus. So she couldn't help herself. But Jesus showed her grace and she appreciated how unworthy she was to even receive his aid. It's therefore no surprise that lots of hymn writers include grace in the works of their hymns. If we had more time, I'd ask you questions about these, but I'll just read them out. Grace is a charming sound, harmonious to the ear, Philip Doddridge. Who has grace so rich and free? Okay. What was the first line of that hymn? First line, great God of wonders, Samuel Davis. There are dozens and dozens of them. I just picked nine. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, by John Newton. And shall I see him face to face and tell the story, saved by grace? Well, it's Fanny Crosby, but the start is someday the silver cords will break. Uh, more of his grace to others show. We've just sung that one. May thy rich grace impart strength to my fainting heart. My faith looks up to thee. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. By a guy called, well, I presume it's a man, Haldor Lilinas. 
I don't know him, I don't know we know any others, but a great hymn. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. And starts years I spent in vanity and pride. And are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? We sung that, Have You Been to Jesus for the Cleansing Power? Our old hymn book was called Grace Hymns. Our current hymn book has a section called Growth in Grace. So grace pervades the whole of our Christian lives. It's vital that we should look at it, marvel it, and praise God for it. So, first subsection, if you like, looking behind, what does the grace of Jesus mean to us? Well, first of all, we look at it because it talks of forgiveness. So, verse 14 in Corinthians that we're referring to is a threefold prayer for blessing. It includes three parts of the Trinity. So when the Jehovah's Witness want it, it looks as if that verse certainly contains it. Uh, it's probably first, I guess. It could have been in any order, I guess. But Jesus comes first because our experience of salvation began when we tasted of the grace of the Lord Jesus to forgive our sins. Isn't that true? This brings to mind a verse that means so much to me and was a major part of my conversion experience. And those of you who've been here long enough will be able to quote it for me. But Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So in a nutshell again, Christ forgave you. It had nothing to do with you. It was all of his grace. I did two epilogues at FOY and Kick Club lately and one of them had the phrase Jesus is full of grace and truth and I think I said to them he needs to have grace but if he wasn't truthful we wouldn't want to know the grace so the two things go straight together and also explain to them they probably went all over their heads but grace is God's riches at Christ's expense and it's a great little whatever the word is an acronym mm -hmm. So we receive forgiveness when we first come to Christ in faith, but his grace is sufficient to continue providing forgiveness throughout the rest of our lives. When we're saved, the power of sin is broken in our lives, but sadly not the experience of it. I remember Pastor Wood, who was the pastor here up until 1979, a man who, as a youngster, you'd have looked at and thought, oh, he'd never done anything wrong in his life. He said to me, after 40 years since he was converted, he was still plagued by smutty jokes that he'd heard or even spoken himself before he was converted. And I thought, oh, that's true of him. It will be true of everyone else. The difference is that pre-conversion, we enjoyed the sin, and post-conversion, we hate the sin even when it bubbles up in us. Maybe when we first became Christians, we thought that the battle against sin would grow easier as we got older and more experienced. Well, for the younger ones amongst us, the truth is that's not true. Instead, the battle becomes more acute. And why? Because we become more aware of the character of God and the incredible sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made for us. As we see how holy God is, we become more aware of our own failings. It's that stark contrast between darkness and light. We therefore need an ongoing daily experience of the grace of the Lord Jesus. We've given a wonderful picture. We could have picked umpteen passages to open up with. Wonderful picture of this in the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. 
we shall once a day, I won't ask who does and who doesn't, it might be embarrassing, but we do this to wash our whole bodies. But in the Middle East, you'd find that they wash their feet regularly during the day because they've been out wearing sandals, like Bruce in the summer, and the dust would make your feet regularly dirty. So we have been washed clean at conversion, but we need an ongoing washing of the grace of Jesus in the forgiveness of sins. Some have thought that grace provides forgiveness and therefore is an excuse to go on sinning. The Apostle Paul counters that in Romans 6 verse 1. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And the answer from him is clearly no. The answer is that the Greek word we render grace when applied to God means grace, when applied to us means gratitude. We're so amazed by his grace that in gratitude we don't want to offend him. So, grace is about forgiveness, but grace is also about the presence of Jesus in our lives. I know some of you do not like, some of you, some of us don't like the company of others too much, some more than others. If we're honest, many of us like a bit of uh, time to ourselves. I went to see a person uh, the other day drop off the books for uh, auditing and she said isn't it nice when you get out the house and we're not being touched all the time I take that's a motherly thing I don't think fathers quite understand that but she wanted a bit of time to herself however few of us would want to live lives as hermits and we're made to enjoy the company of others because that's the way that God made us in the first place part of God's grace to us in salvation he wants to grant us the presence of Jesus quick look at scripture shows us that God made us to have a relationship with him right at the very start the daily highlight for Adam and Eve was when God walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day significantly that was the time when they first noticed that they were sinful because then they wanted to hide from him at that time Enoch also experienced walking with God we've heard that before right through the old testament we hear that the hand of the lord was on someone or some group of people david knew the presence of god throughout his life and wrote in psalm 23 i will fear no evil for you are with me so the old testament presence is brought to its fullness by christ in the new testament you've only got to look at the verse up here someone quoted it the other day and lo i'm with you always even to the end of the age Christ is going to be with us until that time when he comes back again. As Derek Prime, a famous author, writes, the Lord Jesus usually makes his gracious presence known in those key moments when we most need the insurance that it gives, not insurance, assurance that it gives. Don't always expect the spectacular. On most occasions, we have the word of God, and in particular, it's gracious promises to help us through day by day. But who amongst us has not experienced his gracious presence when we're facing certain trials? I remember I was in a problem at work at one time and I was really fearful of going to see the boss. And when I came out, I just said, thank you, Lord, for being with me as I went out the door for the exit because I didn't expect to be helped at all. And I came out re really assured. As a practical illustration, you can look in Acts, 24, Acts 4, the verses that we read. Peter and John had pointed a cripple to faith in Jesus. It caused an uproar, as we read. Once the believers resorted to prayer, much grace of the Lord Jesus was upon them all. 
So as a result of knowing his presence, they were given greater boldness and greater strength to imitate their Lord. An old phrase was, you are known by the company that you keep. We should be known for keeping company with Jesus. Liverpool have a song, their anthem is Walk On. I don't, some of you will know it, some of you hate football. It comes from a Rodgers and Hammerstein show called Car Carousel. And the song was made famous by a 1960s pop group, Jerry and the Pacemakers. If you're 18, 20, who said, yeah, one remembers it. It goes like this. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and the silver song of the lark. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. Well, we know it's a pop song, but the theme applies to Christian life. When knowing the presence of Christ through his grace, you'll truly never be alone. So, third one, last one, the strength of Jesus. So we have the forgiveness, the presence, now the strength of Jesus. Some people in life seem to be remarkably able to cope with anything in life. My work experience tells me that if that's true of people, it's often because they're blustering or they're covering up for feelings of inadequacy. That may or may not be true. Maybe it's just the people I met. The truth is that we all need strength from Christ in life in general, but in the Christian life particularly. Derek Prime again points out that the scriptures have grace and strength often interchangeably used. He summarises it like this. The beauty of this is that when we know we do not deserve a renewal of strength, God grants it because it's a gift given, not on account of our merit, but because of his grace. We often look at the lives of other Christians and think, I could never cope as they do. Maybe you don't, maybe you're perfect. This may apply because you're going through some personal physical struggle, or you're having to care daily for someone who is not able to care for themselves physically or mentally. But the truth is, Jesus is there and will give the strength required just at the time when you're put through a certain trial and not before it. Principle is shown it's in picture language in Exodus 16. You remember that the Jews were given the manna every day. Whatever they took, some of it went off if they took too much. On the seventh day, they were given twice as much. There was always a provision, but it was just enough for the day. We need strength in many areas of our Christian lives. Paul summarises the need in Titus 2, 11 and 12. He says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation, through Jesus, has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age. Well, clearly that was written a couple of thousand years ago. We live in a different present age but we still need the strength of Jesus to live lives like this, which will be a witness to our ungodly neighbours. I don't know if you've ever seen it in the news lately. It's been all over the place. There's an incredible man by the name of Kevin Sinfield. He's done incredible things to raise money for his friend Rob Burrows, who was a rugby league player who has MND, multineurone. Uh, the story brings me to tears when we watch it. As far as I know, he's not a Christian, 
but he has an incredible belief in his friend and brother. Uh, it makes you wonder if he can do that for a friend, what it is that we should be doing and willing to do for friends and neighbours. But again, you're only able to do that in the strength of Christ. Most of you know I like country music, you may not, but there is a, a singer called, well, he's dead now, as a lot of them are getting that way. Um, he's called Don Williams. Uh, this is essentially a song about the love of a husband and a wife, but could easily relate to the relationship between a Christian and Christ. It reads like this. You're my bread when I'm hungry. You're my shelter from troubled winds. You're my anchor in life's ocean. But most of all, you're my best friend. When I need hope and inspiration, you're always strong when I'm tired and weak. I could search this whole world over. You'll still be everything that I need. And it does apply, doesn't it? I mean, I often wonder when it was written whether there was something behind it that was a subliminary, secondary sort of word, but it's lovely words. So let's not forget, though, when someone says, ah, my best friend, John 15, 13 to 15, Jesus said, Greater love has no one other than this, that they lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, isn't that incredible? The grace of Jesus that he says, you are my friends. You also need strength to exercise spiritual gifts. I can hear some say, what gifts? Not me, but we all have gifts and they're all different. Some may be more public than others. Never try to exercise your gifts in your own strength. That will lead to pride. For instance, never go to youth club in your own strength. As if there's success, you'll say, look what I've achieved. And if there's failure, you'll probably get very despondent. Rather seek the strength of Christ. And as Peter says in 1 Peter 4, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Even the great apostle Paul had to be reminded, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then finally, a famous secular phrase is the gift that just keeps giving. An example would be a season ticket, not for a football game, to watch a dozen concerts on the South Bank. You're given one gift, but the benefits go on throughout the year. Well, the great news is that salvation is a one-off, but Christ's ongoing grace is endless, boundless, and bottomless. The Apostle John in 1, John 1, 16 said, Of Christ's fullness we've all received, and grace for grace, on and on grace. I'm reminded of a bed and breakfast we went to on the south coast near Bournemouth. We had a good breakfast, but each other we only got through a half of the little glass of jam that they gave us each day, miniature pots. Toast was fine, jam was fine, only needed half of it. To our amazement, the next day, he pulled out the remaining part of our two <laughs> bottles of jam and wheeled them out for the next day's breakfast. Now, Derek Prine has an example that is different and more sublime, if you like. He was at a hotel, it was for a conference in Belfast, Every day, uh, sorry, when he arrived on the Saturday after the flight, long car journey, very tired, he noticed there was an orange together with a plate, a knife and a napkin in his bedroom. He was really thirsty, accepted the hospitality and ate the orange as soon as he got there. 
He then gladly found that every day as he ate the orange one day, there was another one put there the next day and another one and another one. And it was replaced each day during his stay. Then he was talking to one of the women who was at breakfast uh, at the end of the speaker's time at the conference. She was the wife of another speaker. She said on the final Thursday she'd just eaten her orange that they got on the first Saturday. And he said, oh, you only had one orange, I had six. So he made sure that that grace was on continuing. <laughs> so whereas our pots of jam were somewhat miserly, Derek's abundance of oranges was a great illustration of the recurring grace of Christ. And the great thing is that enjoying the grace of Christ in this life is just the beginning. It's a small foretaste of the grace that will be shown to us at the end of this life when Christ will come in triumph to take his people home. However, if there's any on the tape who are listening in and don't know Christ as Saviour, we need to be certain that when Christ returns, we will all bow before him, some in adoration and thanks for all of his grace, some in fear because we've rejected him. So quick summary. The grace of our Lord Jesus is magnificent. We need to daily appreciate the forgiveness that he's granted to us at conversion and will continue to grant to us as we come to him in repentance and faith. We need to recognise that the presence of Christ with us in our daily lives is marvellous and marvel that he calls us friends. We're here to live in the power of his strength. As we look for an under-shepherd as a church, we should look for one who lives in humility and total dependence on the strength of his Saviour. His grace is freely available and freely given, but if we're too proud to ask or to receive it, then we've got only ourselves 